wanted to speak with me? I've got something to show you. What's this about? A lightsaber? Not just any lightsaber. It can't be. So you recognize it? That I do. It is the Dark Saber, a symbol for the leader of House Vizsla, and later the group known as Death Watch. I didn't know Mandalorians developed a type of lightsaber. We didn't. This was one of a kind. Legend tells that it was created over a thousand years ago by Tar Vizsla, the first Mandalorian ever inducted into the Jedi Order. After his passing, the Jedi kept the saber in their temple. That was until members of House Vizsla snuck in and liberated it. They used the saber to unify the people and strike down those who would oppose them. One time, they ruled all of Mandalore wielding this blade. This saber is an important symbol to that house and respected by the other clans. I imagine Sabine was excited to recover it. <laughs> you wouldn't know it. After we got back from Dathomir, she gave it to me for safekeeping and hasn't brought it up since. She doesn't want the responsibility. Kanan, if Sabine can wield this saber, she can reunite one of the most powerful houses in all of Mandalore. You're talking about raising an army. With Sabine leading it. have to get into it today, Popheads. The Darksaber is back in play, and what you just heard was a little bit of the Darksaber's history, but we have so much more to talk about. Hey, hello, Popheads. Welcome to issue 67 of 3BZ Presents, the TomCast Popcast, also known as Popcast, and I am your host with the most. My name is Tom. Please follow the show on social media, at TomCast underscore Popcast on Twitter, at the TomCast underscore Popcast on Instagram. You can email us at TomCastPopcast at gmail.com. And you can head on over to join Pophead Nation at patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopCast. Thank you so much to my current Patreons, the Aspen Hill Chody, the Squidmaster General Brian Broussard, and our newest Patreon, the Batman of Bay Park, Jeff Nail, also the co-host on the Ringy Near podcast. So thank you guys so much for being Patreons. I hope you've had a chance to listen to uh, this month's Patreon-only exclusive episode for the, a commentary track for Star Wars The Force Awakens in order to help whet your appetite for The Rise of Skywalker, which uh, that review episode is coming up shortly, and it is going to be full of all kinds of hotness, rage, and anger. These lead to the dark side, and that movie led me to the dark side. But Roger is going to be representing the light because uh, he was a bigger fan than I, so spoilers on that. But we're going to have a nice little debate club, I think. So stay tuned for that. But today we're here to talk about the most important thing that happened in the history of the internet. Or at least the history of the internet for the day. Chapter 8 of The Mandalorian dropped today, this morning, the season finale of The Mandalorian. And oh boy, was it a doozy. And as you listen to that clip that opened the show, um, we're, we're going to dive right into to the big reveal. And now maybe as a casual viewer... 
you're not quite sure what I'm talking about, what, what the significance of all of that is. So what am I talking about? At the very end of The Mandalorian. And again, sp- spoilers, man. We're talking about it. You guys watched it, okay? Spoilers. The very end of the series, of the season, of the shot. Moff Gideon cutting his way out of his TIE fighter with a black-bladed lightsaber. That is the Darksaber. And that is of supreme significance to the Mandalores. So that's why I dug up that clip for you guys. That's from, uh, that's from Star Wars Rebels. And the Darksaber factors very heavily into the final season of that, of that show. I've highly recommended it to you in the past. I highly recommend it to you now. If you'd like to see more of the Darksaber's history of it in action, you can go back into Star Wars The Clone Wars animated series, where it plays a bit of a role as well. And I do believe it's been referenced once or twice on Star Wars Resistance. So make sure to make some time to watch those animated series. They're uh, starting to connect some of the dots here. You know, obviously we don't know what the intentions are. We don't know much more than the fact that Moff Gideon has possession of the Darksaber. But as was alluded to in that sound clip, uh, the the Darksaber is, is this wonderful symbol for the Mandalores. It unites them, usually behind a leader. And obviously, we, as we see the Mandalorians in this episode, or in, in this series, they are a scattered people. So whoever can wield that, that dark saber has a chance to bring the Mandalorians back together again as a, as a force in the, in the Star Wars galaxy, which would be uh, pretty fucking cool because we haven't seen that just yet. But there's so much to get into. You know, the history of, of this one particular artifact is so much mythology for Star Wars. Um, you, they, they mentioned Tar Vizsla as the first Mandalorian Jedi Knight. This is the one-of-a-kind weapon formed, forged by Tar Vizsla to serve as his weapon as a member of the Jedi Knights. Now, what exactly... How is there a Jedi Knight... Mandalorian, we've talked about the, the about the innate conflict between these two uh, cultures, and so a lot of the a lot of the mythology, a lot of the lore surrounding Tar Vizsla is that he was something of a attempt by the Jedi and by the Mandalorians to bridge their differences, uh, to kind of bring them together in a way that hadn't before, because the Mandalorians and the Jedi, in some of the mythology, uh, have a very complicated history with one another, and they are almost you know, yin and yang to each other in a, in a lot of senses. So Tar Vizsla was something of an experiment uh, to see if a Jedi, if the Mandalores and the Jedi could become closer through Tar Vizsla. Now, again, the mythology is a little dicey. We don't know a lot of details because at some point Tar Vizsla becomes the Mandalore of the Mandalorians. He becomes like their leader. So is he a member of the Knights at the same time? Can he be the leader of a people and a Jedi Knight at the same time? Does he have to leave the Jedi Order? There, there's a lot of gaps to fill in here. Uh, but the big thing the big thing to keep note of is the last name. We've mentioned the Vizsla family. Clan Vizsla has been a significant part of, of the Mandalorians in the new canon, which is, again, Star Wars The Clone Wars, Star Wars Rebels. And I... Again, Resistance is part of the canon, but we're, we're, that's ahead of our time. So we don't need to pay attention to Resistance at the moment. Rebels, Clone Wars. That's our, that's our main background for Mandalore and now the Darksaber. Clan Vizsla in the Clone Wars tried to use the Darksaber to rally the Mandalorian warriors into 
resisting the peaceful ways of Duchess Satine. In Rebels, they bring you, they bring the, the uh, Sabine Wren, Wren with a W R E N, uh, attempts to use the dark saber to reunite the clans against the Empire. And then eventually it's given to another member. And eventually Sabine gives it to uh, Bo Katan to become the leader of the Mandalores in the resistance in, in, in re attempting to resist the Empire. There's even a phase where you go back into if you if you really get into Clone Wars, you'll see that at one point Darth Maul was a wielder of the dark saber as well, as he uh, took over rule of Mandalore and he uh, he, he engaged in lightsaber fight with uh, Darth, with Darth Sidious uh, using the dark saber, but. I didn't want to get too deep into that. Let's just kind of stick with the Mandalore portion of, of the Darksaber's history. Now, obviously, Bo-Katan at some point is either killed or removed by the, by the Empire because she loses this. And we know what happens with the Mandalorians. The, at some point, the, Mandalor the, the Empire turns on the Mandalorians and eliminates them. This is part of Sabine Wren's story arc in Star Wars Rebels. But remember, Rebels takes place prior to A New Hope. So something's happened since that series ended that has the Mandalorians in this state now where they are. And we get some, some reference to that from, from Moff Gideon in this episode where he refers to the Night of a Thousand Tears. We'll get there. We will get there. But remember, remember, Vizsla, this plays a, this plays a big part in things. And I'll say it right now. We'll get to it when it happens, but I'm going to say it right now. The Clan Vizsla sigil is what's on the shoulder pauldron of the Mandalorian who rescues who rescues young Din Djarin. Oh, that's right. We also got the name of our Mandalorian today. We no longer have to refer to him as Mando, even though I like referring to him as Mando, and I, I may still just do it for fun. But his name is Din Djarin. Orphaned when his parents were killed by, by a, a Separatist battle droids. And then about to be killed himself when a squad of Mandalorians jetpacked into his village and fought off the Separatist robots. And then an unnamed Mandalorian takes Din to safety. On his jetpack, no less. So that's pretty darn cool. But the shoulder, the shoulder sigil is that of Clan Vizsla. So Clan Vizsla playing a big part in this show. I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised how much Vizsla has been all up and down uh, the history of the Mandalores at this point, you know, especially considering, you know, at one point, uh, you know, we talked about it on the Boba Fett episode, the, you know, we were under the impression that Boba Fett was the main Mandalorian. Apparently, it's all about the Vizslas, baby. You got to be a Vizsla to get around in Mandalore. But that's a little bit of a speculation part. I know there was some speculation initially on the internet that uh, Boba Fett was going to be the per the character who would rescue uh, Din, but uh, clearly we are debunking that. Unless, unless Boba Fett's part of Clan Vizsla, we just didn't even know it. I don't know. Who knows? There's a lot of room for them to play with, but let's assume that they are separate. Uh, I think it makes actually more sense if Fett and Vizsla are actually kind of rivals of each other. But I'm, that may be something they explore later because this season's wrapped up, and we don't know any more about. The mysterious boots we saw back in the end, back at the end of chapter six. Is that a boon to Boba Fett? Is Boba Fett now on the trail? Maybe it's another member of Clan Vizsla. Maybe, 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 maybe there's more Mandalorian stuff going on. Maybe, maybe somebody's tracking the dark saber. Who knows? There's a lot to get through in this. But let's let's get into. I think we're in a good spot. We've talked a lot about the dark saber, 
But now we should get into the main part of the show. I mean, we, when we left, our, our heroes were in, were in a bit of a pickle at the end of Chapter 7. And then, because that, that, that Jolly St. Nick motherfucker came in here and Rise of Skywalker was coming out, you know, we haven't had a chance to really you know, get a new chapter. We had to wait a little bit longer to get a new chapter of The Mandalorian. Can you believe that shit? It was a bummer. So the episode, uh, let's just say it right off the bat. I think this episode's awesome. This may be the best episode yet. It was a lot of fun. It was uh, action-packed and exciting. This episode is, is titled Redemption. It is written by Jon Favreau. And it is directed by everyone's favorite Marvel guy. Directed by everybody's favorite Marvel guy, Taika Waititi. Also the actor who does the mocap suit for IG-11. Pretty cool, huh? So his first effort directing anything in the Star Wars universe, and it just so happens to be possibly the best episode of The Mandalorian, at least of season one. So we pick up basically where we left off. The speeder bike's racing back towards the town of Navarro. They have Baby Yoda in their possession. Now they're going to hang back outside of the town and wait for the signal that it's all good to come in with Baby Yoda. And... Uh, you may recognize the voices of these particular speeder bike troopers uh, because, you know, why not put, like, celebrities in, in, in the suit and have us have fun with that? It's Adam Pally in one suit and then Jason Sudakis in the other suit. And they have a pretty uh, pretty little funny exchange back and forth about Gideon and what's, like, kind of like the, the day-to-day rigmarole of Stormtrooper life. And every time Baby Yoda makes a noise, though, they punch the little bag that he's in. And... Yeah, I'm pretty sure that we all wanted them to die for this. And that is not cool. You don't punch the little bag that Baby Yoda's in. So it's a pretty funny scene. There's a lot of hand, funny hand gestures. Now listen, I'm going to say this right now. Because we're going to get into this when, when we do the review of Rise of Skywalker. This kind of interaction between uh, between stormtroopers and, and, and between the soldiers of the Imperial Army makes sense. I will tell you why it doesn't make sense. In the goddamn Rise of Skywalker in that episode. You don't get banter with those ones, okay? We'll talk about why later. Don't worry. All right. Anyways, so they're, these, these speeder bike troopers are waiting outside of the town. The one wants to see Baby Yoda. Doesn't Nobody knows what Baby Yoda is. Nobody's never seen anything like Yoda before. We, we've been there. Now, there's a pretty funny part, too, where the stormtroopers are trying to shoot a target, and they're terrible at it, which, you know, is very on brand. Very on brand for stormtroopers. And, you know, it's funny, too, when you watch that scene, because they it's not like they're close. They miss by a lot. But they're waiting outside the town, and what this allows to, have to happen is what we, what we expected to have happen. IG-11 has come to fulfill his programming and protect Baby Yoda. And it's funny, cause, because IG-11 announces himself as a nurse droid. Uh... But obviously, he's a very lethal nurse droid, and he wastes no time dispatching the two stormtroopers, who deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell for punching Baby Yoda. And it's a great scene where, to, uh, where after he's broken the one arm of one stormtrooper, and he flips him around and flips the other one over, he grabs the other one by the helmet and just smashes him through a speeder bike, which is pretty rad. So then he picks up the sack with Baby Yoda, and then we get to see something super cool! We get to see IG-11 power up a speeder bike, and he gets, he's going to take off into town! I don't know if this is great work to, to protect the child by riding into the town where all the stormtroopers are at. Perhaps his programming says that the best way to protect the child is to 
kill all the people who would do him harm. That's when you get the title cue. There we are, we're in chapter 8. Still called Redemption. And now we meet up with our heroes back at the bar. Going off Gideon, issuing commands. He's, this is where we get our, our scene where we, we find out that Gideon knows a lot. And this is where he drops the name of Din Jaren. He also knows Kara Doom's full name and her role in the Rebel Alliance. And we also find out that Grief Karga is a failed Imperial uh, magistrate. Probably an Imperial magistrate. It's not a little unclear. So the Stormtroopers are setting up a lot of weapons. They're getting an E-Web blaster cannon prepared to go. They're trying to. Our heroes are trying to figure out a way out of the bar before they get blasted to a million pieces. They're having, they want to get out through a sewer grate because the sewers are where the Mandalorian's enclave was held up in Navarro. They were living in the sewers. I don't think that was ever very clear before. At least there, if there was, they were definitely very fancy sewers compared to what we've seen before. Um, if the Ninja Turtles would have loved to live in these sewers, very spacious, very, very spacious. Oh, I forgot to say, too, um, when Moff Gideon is, is intimidating our heroes by showing all he knows about them, revealing their full names and everything like that, we also find out that uh, Cardoon is from Alderaan. So there's a nice little connection back. Uh, apparently... Part of the reason why she might be so agitated at the Empire is, is the death of Alderaan, so a nice little motivation for her. In the scene as well, this, as he's revealing the information, as he's telling us the name of the Mandalorian, Moffat Gideon refers to the Siege of Mandalore. And this is when he mentions the ships that, go, that mowed down the Mandalorian recruits on the Night of a Thousand Tears. This is when... Our heroes realize that this is Moff Gideon. At this point, they don't know who's out there. But this information tells Din who he is. And everyone knows that Moff Gideon, by reputation alone, is a badass. Uh, Carr even mentions that uh, the rumors that he was executed for war crimes. So again, establishing the fact that Gideon is not someone to fuck around with. The one part I don't like about this scene is, after, he, after Gideon delivers his threats and gives every appearance of having the upper hand. He then gives our heroes time to think about things, which obviously is time to get away. So if Gideon is such a badass, uh, I really feel like he just should have done what he was going to do. But the theory, the prevailing theory is that because he didn't have the child yet, he didn't want to kill them yet. And I, I'll be honest, I love watching uh, Giancarlo Esposito play this character, play Moff Gideon. Yeah, he, he brings such a nice presence to the to the role. You know, I totally see this guy as a badass. I don't know about how you guys feel about it, but I, I love seeing him at it as this level of Imperial scumbag. You also get reference to the Mind Flayer as well, which you may remember from seeing in Star Wars Rogue One as a device they used on, on Bodhi to see if he was telling the truth. Carr is afraid that if she gets captured by Moff Gideon, they're going to hook her up to a Mind Flayer. And... Uh, it's funny to see Grief's reaction to that. He says that, uh, that those were not real, that it was just war propaganda. And uh, as again, as we know, since we've seen it, uh, very, very real. The scene also provides us with a little bit more context. Again, when, when Din is telling Grief and Kara how he knows it's Gideon because of the fact that he hasn't heard the name spoken aloud since he was a child, we come out and get the fact that, yeah, our, our Mando is not born on Mandalorian, and this is where we find out that Mandalore 
they kind of confirm what we've talked about on the show. Mandalore is not a race. And he says, this is interesting, the Mandalore uses this word. He says it's a creed, which is an interesting uh, choice of, of words, but effectively conveys what we've all been talking about for this entire season. This is when you get the flashback. We get the full scene now of Din as a child when the Separatist army is, is attacking his village. Again, we know we're not on Mandalore, but we don't know where we are. So the scene plays out. Like I said, we've seen the snippets in the, in, the, in previous episodes. You know, the, they, his parents, mother and father, both put him away in a little underground, uh, like I want to say pantry, but I know that's not the right word. But it's like a little little shelter underneath the ground. And as it's opened up by a super a super battle droid, a Mandalorian, fully in full regalia, very Boba Fett esque looking comes to rescue Jin. He offers him his hand, he takes his hand, and that's when we see Mandalorians swooping out of the sky to attack the battle droids, to attack the Separatist forces. So, we again, we don't know the context, we don't know if this planet's under protection of the Mandalores, or how this works out necessarily, if they were hired by anyone. Perhaps the Republic hires them to, to deal with Separatist forces in one section. We don't know for sure. But it's a great scene. Again, these Mandalorians all have their jetpacks. They're all swooping in. They all have the, the, the blaster rifles similar to Boba Fett's design. And again, you see that, that emblem on the shoulder pauldron indicating this is Clan Vizsla doing this action. And the one who, who rescues Din takes off to get him to safety. And now this is how Din becomes the foundling. Again, we've, we've sort of seen this before, but to see this is how it plays out, how the Mandalorian rescues him is very, very interesting. He then talks about being raised in the fighting corps, treated as one of their own until he came of age and then he was sworn into the creed. The only record of his family name was in the registers of Mandalore and that Moff Gideon was an ISB officer during the Purge. Again, we're referencing the Purge. We talk, we, we've talked about this in episode three. ISB, the Imperial Security Bureau. All right, so we know Gideon's kind of a badass because of that. The Imperial Security Bureau is something of... Imperial, it's not like the CIA or the FBI necessarily, but it's it's sort of the Star Wars equivalent of all that. It's it's basically there's you know intelligence gathering, there's there's all that stuff going on in there. So being in part of the Imperial Security Bureau is a little bit different than just being a standard Imperial officer. It's at this point now that our heroes reach back out on the comm to see if Kuil got was able to get away with the child. We and we get IG Eleven responding. And he's tearing ass on that speeder bike, and he's coming right into the Navarre, and he's about to start killing the fuck out of some stormtroopers. Awesome action sequence right here, as on a speeder bike, IG-11 is blowing stormtroopers away at breakneck speeds, and he's doing his cool swivel moves. <laughs> and Baby Yoda loves it. You get awesome, awesome Baby Yoda stuff in this episode. It's so good. And as the, the stormtroopers who are facing the bar, holding... The Mandalorian and Cara Dune and everyone at bay, they hear the blaster fire. They hear what's coming for him. And this is when, again, the, the, it's just a, a wonderful action piece. And Ta Taika Waititi directs the shit out of it. And they just blow everything to holy hell. And this gives our heroes a chance. It's also really cool the way IG-11 is able to swivel his body around so that the baby Yoda is not in the line of fire here. Turns him around, and then he swivels the arms around. Such a cool feature with this robot. They do such a great job with this droid. It's fantastic. 
the, the, the action he's capable of doing and keeping Baby Yoda safe and protected at the same, same time. Hell of a nurse droid right there, folks. This is what you got to get to be your babysitter. This guy's a bad motherfucker. But again, this opens up the window for our heroes to get a chance to fight back. And they start mowing down stormtroopers from inside the bar. Din Djarin comes out of the bar. Blaster's firing. Grief follows behind him. Time to fight some death troopers. Great, again, awesome, awesome action sequence. And then uh, Gideon comes and re-enters the fray here as Din Djarin picks up the, the E-Web repeating blaster cannon and starts mowing down the Imperial forces. Uh, Gideon gets a drop on him, and instead of shooting the Mandalorian with his blaster, he hits the power pack for the E-Web and blows Din Djarin to, straight to hell. Oh, so to speak. You know, you can't kill the hero. Sorry. So Cardoon rushes out. She brings the Mandalorian. They head back into the bar. They, they, hold, they fall back into the bar. IG-11's with them. IG-11, being the cool droid that he is, has a cutting torch. They haven't been able to get into that sewer. Uh, it's been problematic cutting into that grate. So IG-11's got the torch. He's going to be able to do it. Gideon's going to send in an Imperial Flamethrower Trooper. Flame Trooper? That, that probably sounds better. He's kind of a badass-looking dude with the red all over his face. Looks a little bit reminiscent of the figures that we saw in the in the First Order who have the flamethrowers. But I love the classic Stormtrooper design a lot more, so I like this guy better. And basically our Mandalorian friend, Din Djarin, believes he's dying. He's wanting, He wants to be left behind, but Kara's not going to let him do that. But we see the blood coming out of his helmet. He took it bad when he got exploded. She keeps trying to take off his helmet to help him. Again, refusing to, to let the aid be rendered if it means taking off his helmet. So he wants Kara to take care of the child. He gives her the, the mythosaur rune, the, the, the necklace that he wears. And he wants her to take it, find the Mandalorians, and give that rune to them so they know that he sent her with the baby. and that They will protect the baby now after his death. The Imperial Flame Trooper shows up, and it's fire time, baby. He's, he's going to burn that bar to the ground. Our hero's in trouble. IG-11 hasn't finished cutting yet, but the man is going to sacrifice himself. He wants to save Baby Yoda. He wants to save them. He knows he's dead. And here comes the Flame Trooper. Now, this was an interesting part here because I was, I was not... I thought, I thought we may get another force healing scene from Baby Yoda where he helps the Mandalorian recover. Baby Yoda seems to be waiting and... and for his moment to shine in this in this in in this battle, and he's he's chosen this point right here as the flame trooper enters the building, flamethrower blazing, pointed right at him. They're all about to be torched. Baby Yoda, hands raised, and unleashes the force to protect them all. Sends the flames right back into the trooper, blowing him up and sending him out flinging him back out the door. Again, grief. Everyone looks on in disbelief at what they're seeing as that stormtrooper explodes. That's <laughs> such a great fucking scene. And Baby Yoda, you know, the effort again. He's a little pooped. Just pops right down the ground and falls over. He's a little tie-tie. Alright, the grate's open. It's time to go. The Mando's still begging them to leave him He's going to slow them down. He's in no condition. IG-11 scoops up Baby Yoda. IG-11 hands the baby to Cara Dune. 
urges her to protect the child. Grief heads down into the sewer. And Car makes, makes IG-11 promise to bring the Mandalorian with him. And IG-11 gives her word. Now IG-11 enters the scene here with the Mandalorian in an attempt to render aid. He wants to give first aid to the Mandalorian. Uh, but the Mando won't let him take his helmet off. He's never, he says, another living person's not seen me without this helmet. And to which IG-11 responds, I'm not a living thing. And so he takes his helmet off. He's able to re remove his helmet. And this is when we get our first glimpse of Din Djarin, of Pedro Pascal, as the Mandalorian. And so IG-11 renders first aid. He applies a Bacta spray to help promote the healing of the wound. Bacta is, if for anyone unfamiliar, uh, Bacta is like super medicine in a, in a lot of senses uh, for the Star Wars universe. If you remember in The Empire Strikes Back, uh, the Bacta tank, after Luke's been attacked by the Wampa, that's the tank that Luke is floating in. That's, that's Bacta. It promotes the healing of the body. So he gets that infusion of, of Bacta sprayed onto his wounds, and they head into the sewer together. But not before IG-11 makes a funny joke about the Mandalorian receiving damage to a central processing unit. <laughs> it's, it's funnier than it's, I'm making it sound. <laughs> but that's pretty much your only glimpse of Pedro Pascal as the Mandalorian because the helmet goes back on as they get back into the sewers here. Now they're trying to find the Mandalorian Enclave. They're trying to get help from the Mandalorians. I'm a little surprised that, that Din believes the Mandalorians would still be here after the way things ended in Episode 3. Uh, and what we're going to find out as they finally make their way to the Enclave is that there were, there were repercussions for helping Din escape with baby Yoda and they find that out when they when they reach the enclave and they find shattered Mandalorian battle armor piled up in the middle apparently the, the imperial forces came for them after they were able to buy time for Jin and baby Yoda to escape um, it makes a ton of sense that the empire wasn't going to just let their forces be butchered that they would come for the Mandalorians uh, killing a bunch of bounty hunters was a lot easier apparently than fending off imperial troops you know, remember at the beginning of the last episode, Grief tells us how the Imperial presence has gone up. And Grief... Grief has to defend himself because he believes that he might be... The Mando believes Grief might be responsible for this. And that's when the Armorer makes her presence known. She comes out to say that it was not his fault. And that once revealed, it was only a matter of time before the Empire came to get them. It's a very cool, this is a very cool scene as well. Uh, because, again, we get a little bit more information about about the Mandalorians and their situation right now. You know, n not everyone was killed. She hopes that some of the Mandalorians were able to escape, but she's staying behind to salvage the remains of their people, of their culture. What's also key about this scene is, is, is what's going to be coming up very, very shortly. Um, our Mandalorian finally gets his sigil, as this has been hinted at for a little while now. But we also he also gets his mission, essentially, for what will be season two of the show. And we'll talk about that as the plan plays out. It's a, Like I said, I like the scene with the armor quite a bit. I love watching her as she takes the, the armor of the fallen Mandalorians and, and melts it back down again so they can be reforged and used by another set of warriors. And this is where she wants to see what all the fuss is about. And she sees 
Baby Yoda. And he tells her that this is the one who helped him with the mud horn. <laughs> she comments how helpless he looks. This is where it's important of, as well. Because this is where Din tells her, the armorer about Baby Yoda's abilities. And the armorer says that she knows of such things. The, the armorer's lines right here I think are pretty significant. So I'm going to give them to you beat for beat here. She says, The songs of Eon's past tell of battles between Mandalore the Great and an order of sorcerers called Jedi that fought with such powers. Mando asks if it's an enemy. Her response is no. It's kind were enemies. But this individual is not. Obviously referring to Baby Yoda. So he wants to know what is it. And the armor says it. It's a foundling. What we've been saying for a while. And she says, now by the creed... It's in your care. So the Mando asks, uh, the Mando asks if he wants her to, if she thinks that he is going to have to train it. And she says, no, he's too weak for the training. She says Baby Yoda would actually die from the training. I don't know. Again, it seems like a little bit, everyone's underestimating Baby Yoda a little bit here and uh, his strength and everything like that. Uh, but, you know, let's just roll with it because this is where he's going to get his, char his, his mission, basically, his new goal I suppose is a good way to put it you have no choice but you must reunite it with its own kind the Mandalorian asks where he sa she says this is what you must determine <laughs> you expect me to search the galaxy for the home of this creature to deliver it to a race of enemy sorcerers <laughs> and the only response is this is the way it's really funny uh, again you, you get to see you get to see, you get to see that despite you get to see some of that mythology that we've talked about about this this history that the Jedi and the Mandalorians have with each other. You get to see that in just a few lines of this episode. You know, Din is told that the Jedi were enemies, so instantly that makes him his enemies. Now he's expected to deliver Baby Yoda to his enemies. It seems very far-fetched to him seems very odd but this is the way and that's this is the mission this is what it's going to be this is season two of the mandalore coming up or is it of the mandalore of the mandalorian i should say oof dodge a bullet on that one the armor also gives them their escape plan they have to get off planet immediately so she tells them to take the tunnel down they're going to find the lava rivers it's time to get out of there the mando says he wants to stay with the armor that he needs to to help her, and he needs to heal. But that's not going to happen. The armor says, you must go, because the foundling is in your care. By the creed, until it is of age or reunited with its own kind, you are as its father. Boom. In your face, Mando. Baby Yoda loves that, by the way. Gives him a nice little cuckoo sound. Loves it. Again, this is the way. And here's where he's earned his signet. It's a nice little cool symbol. I can't even really describe it necessarily, but she says, um, as she attaches it to his arm, welds it in place to his armor, that you are a clan of two. And it's this cool little swoopy, like, talent almost thing. Uh, I don't know. It's really cool looking. All right, so our heroes have to take off, but we know the imps are coming. As our heroes are making their way out, before the Imperials can arrive, one more gift for our Mandalorian, for Din, as he leaves. 
and it's from one of the fallen Mandalorian armors, and it is the Phoenix, the rocket pack. It's interesting the way that she describes talking about the about the rocket pack. Um, it's almost like it has some kind of life to it, some kind of sentience to it. She tells him that when he is healed, he will begin his drills. Until you know it, it will not listen to your commands. So it's very, very interesting what what we may learn more about that rocket pack in season two of the show. He does get to, we do get to play with it a little bit here in the episode, but that's coming up. All right, so IG-11 bought him some more time, but it's time to go. It's time to go. They're going to restock you their munitions. Uh, the armor hands IG, IG-11 the rocket pack to hang on to it until Din Djarin is well enough to wear it. All right, the armor in her in her forge, kneeling with her hammer and her other tool, the scalpel-y, picky thingy. I don't know what that's called. Looks like she should flip over some stakes with it, though. She's kneeling in front of the forge as the Imperial Stormtroopers come in, and this is when she unleashes a barrage of the fucking epic beatdown on these Stormtrooper chumps, just smashing the fuck out of them with this fucking hammer. It is so great. As she smashes these Stormtrooper dopes in the face, just bits of plastoid flying through the air. It is epic beatdown city. So good. Loved every second of this fight. Especially when she throws the one Stormtrooper in the forge and he just instantly melts into nothing. Look at that. Smack! So good. Yeah, you don't fuck with the armor. She's a badass. Alright, our heroes made it down to the river. There's a boat waiting. They have to get the boat going. There's a droid on it. Man, this is so weird, too. Once they, once they get the boat going, the droid kind of activates and comes to life. And you see, it, the droid, we thought it was an astromech, right? Like an R2-D2 kind of droid. But it springs up. It has its own fucking arms and legs. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. It's a little unsettling to see an R2 unit with arms and legs standing about six feet tall. And, you know, has like a giant metal oar for steering this boat in a lava flat. It's insane. All right, here's where we get to our heroes near the end of the end of this tunnel. They think they're going to make it out to the mud flats themselves and be free and be able to get away. The imps are waiting for him. Din has scanned the area. He sees that they're waiting for him. So they have to come up with a plan. IG-11 has one plan, and it's to kill all the stormtroopers by self-destructing with his thermal detonator. They set this up in episode one, the self-destruct mechanism that allows him not to be captured. And he says that uh, by allowing the Mandalorian and his, and his friends to live and Baby Yoda to live, he will have served his purpose. And so this is, this is the plan. The man is reluctant. He's come around in this droid a little bit because IG-11 has proven to be quite useful. And it's a sweet gesture. You know, IG-11, a robot, but he's programmed to take care of this, 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 this Yoda baby, uh, gives him a little little... Stroke of the ear before he jumps into the lava pit and walks his way towards the Imperial Stormtroopers. Again, it's a cool shot. IG-11 is basically melting as he with every step he takes, but he will get ahead of the Stormtroopers and he will eliminate them, thus saving our heroes. Epic explosions. 
But Moff Gideon's not done. He's got the TIE Fighter, and he's coming in for airstrikes. The blasters are rendered effective. The blasters are useless, again. And, and Grief Karga's plan is to make Baby Yoda do the magic hand thing, which is pretty hilarious to see Grief Karga attempt to do the magic hand thing with the three fingers. Hilarious. Carweather's killing it. So, as one would expect a baby to do, Baby Yoda sees Carl Weathers waving at him, and he, he just waves back. It's awesome. So good. Baby Yoda, hero, role model. But our Mandalorian friend, he's got a couple of tricks up his sleeve because he now has a rocket pack, baby. So he's going to strap that puppy on. And as Moff Gideon comes in for another, another pass, it's time to fire that sucker up. Moff Gideon rather surprised when the Mandalorian takes flight here. Jesse thinks he's about to kill them all. Mando up in the air. Grappling hook onto the TIE Fighter. It's, a, again, another awesome action piece. We saw a little bit of this, of this from the trailers right before the show debuted. But it's really cool to see the way they do it. You know, Mandalor the Mandalorian hanging on for dear life to this TIE Fighter, attempting to, to disable it somehow. Eventually, he is able to get uh, explosive charges placed onto the wing of the TIE Fighter. And he's able to, to disable it. And then it crashing back down to Navarro. So that's it from Moff Gideon, right? Yeah, he's down and out. It's over. Oh, look, there he exploded. He's done. Boom. You suck. Mando safely lands with his with the aid of his new rocket pack. And everything seems good. I thought this was a little strange what happens next, though. Grief, impressed by what he just saw, says that the Mandalorian's uh, guild rates are about to go up, which I guess is probably pretty darn true. And then we find out that the, the Car Doom's going to stay in Navarro. And Grief is staying as well. And it seems like uh, the scum and he says, the scum and villainy has been washed away. It's very respectable again now. So Grief and Car are staying, which I thought was interesting. This is, uh, I don't know. I thought for sure they would leave and be, be, part, be like a posse together. But again, the crux of the story is the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda. So when Baby Yoda approaches the Mandalorian's leg and gives him a hug around the leg, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty cute. But Grief does try to talk to him and talk him into going back to the guild. But he, Grief knows that he has to go and take care of Baby Yoda first. But Grief offers him a role when he comes back. So everyone says their byes, and they give Baby Yoda a little love on the ears. And it seems like the Mandalorian has much more accepted his responsibility now of taking care of this child. Perhaps, you know, I think we speculated before that he maybe he considered the child a family at the, at the very beginning. But I think perhaps he just saw it as an innocent who didn't deserve the fate it had in store for him. So we get the great shot here of the Mandalorian taking off with his new rocket pack. And it's a shot that mirrors the shot we saw of Din being rescued by the Clan Vizsla member. Now Baby Yoda is in that spot where Din was as they rocket off to safety and head back to the Razor Crest. As we get back to the Razor Crest, we see the Mandalorian. He builds a grave for Kuil, who died helping to protect Baby Yoda. As we you know, we're starting to put together a nice little bow on the end of season one here as everything's kind of wrapping itself up. They get back on the boy, they board the Razor Crest. Mandalorian gives Baby Yoda, puts him in the co pilot seat behind him. And we find that uh, Baby Yoda has a little knickknack that he's eaten on. Turns out it's that, uh, that mythosaur pendant that Din had. And he sees it, and he sees it around Baby Yoda's neck. And he decides he's going to let him keep it. 
So the Razor Crest takes off. We're leaving Navarro. We're off to season two. We're off to season two. We pan over Grief and Kara as they head back to the town. And we pan past the downed TIE Fighter of Moff Gideon. And then we go into that wreckage of the TIE Fighter. And we see the local Jawas around scavenging that TIE Fighter, looking for parts and essential components that they can then sell to the people of Navarro. And then a red glowing emanates from the hull of the TIE Fighter, and a black blade appears, and it cuts a giant hole in the side of the TIE Fighter. And this is when people like me started losing our minds, because we've seen that. And then as Moff Gideon emerges with the full Darksaber engaged, we all collectively lost our effing minds. As Moff Gideon climbs the hulk of his downed TIE Fighter, Darksaber fully engaged in his hands. Oh, we know. Shit is going to get real in Season 2. Oh, then that's it, folks. That's the end. That is the conclusion. Season 1 of The Mandalore wraps up eight chapters of awesome entertainment. I said it before. Yeah, it gets a little... uh, Episodes 4, 5, and 6, you know, okay. They're good for the most part. Slows us down a little bit. But, oh boy, did we finish strong with 7 and 8. That is for damn sure. So I love this first season, but what what do we have in store for season two? You know, obviously the Mandalorian the Mandalorian now has his charge. He needs to find where Baby Yoda comes from and deliver him to his people. So are we gonna get to finally explore more of the myth of the of the origins of Yoda and his people? Are we gonna learn a natural name of his species? These these are possibilities for us, right? Like this is something that could happen. If depending on how they want to play this out. I mean, there's a lot that could be done here. There's a lot that uh, there's a lot of different directions to go in as far as this goes. I'm I'm curious if uh, Favreau will uh, if they do decide to explore more into Yoda and his his people and his species, his origins, things like that. You know, will Favreau try to consult will Favreau try to consult with George Lucas, who apparently is the only one who knows anything about Yoda and his people? Or does Favreau have his own ideas for the story he wants to tell? I am a little curious. It does seem that uh, despite despite being the man who created Star Wars, uh, a lot of the people at Disney don't seem to have much interest in his ideas or his uh, story points. You know, as as has been famously uh, talked about, you know, he presented Disney in, with uh, his story notes for episodes seven, eight, and nine. And they basically said thanks, but no thanks, and you know, kind of chucked them in a dumpster. After seeing how seven, eight, nine played out, I would be very, very curious to know what ideas George Lucas originally had for episodes seven, eight, and nine of the Star Wars series. So, yeah, you know, Favreau's always struck me as a fellow uh, in his work with with Marvel Studios as someone who's very respectful to uh, the source material and to the, the people who created the material. So I, I am. Curious if, he, if we find out that he has that a chat with Lucas about Yoda's people. Or perhaps we never even get that far. You know, he may have another couple of ideas in mind for, for what's going to happen in Season 2 or Season 3 down the road. Now, again, with this last episode of Season 1 airing, Favreau was on Twitter today, and he did announce that Season 2 of The Mandalorian will begin airing sometime in the fall of 2020. So they are deep in production on it now. And uh, the plan is it'll probably air roughly around the same time as it started last year. 
So about a year between the seasons. Seems about right. But, you know, the fall will be here soon. <laughs> It'll be here soon, and we'll be able to watch more episodes of The Mandalorian. Again, interesting to kind of speculate on where we can go next. You know, obviously we're learning a ton about The Mandalorians at this point. You know, now we know there's something called the Night of a Thousand Tears. We know a little bit about the Purge. We know who the Imperial officer, at least an Imperial officer who helped oversee the Purge and the Night of a Thousand Tears was, being Moff Gideon. Why does Moff Gideon have the Darksaber? Is he some kind of uh, Mandalorian fanatic? You know, is he, does he, is he somebody who has an interest in Mandalorian culture of their artifacts? Or... Does he fancy himself the leader of the Mandalorians because he is the one in possession of the Darksaber? Does he have Mandalorians working for him because they follow who wields the Darksaber? There's a lot to unpack as, as things move forward here and in, in we get to a season two of The Mandalorian. And I'm also curious, will there be a t any sort of... Uh, time between the season between the, these seasons or will it be relatively no time between season one and season two you know i'm assuming that uh disney and 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 favreau and everybody is not eager to lose the cuteness of baby yoda by turning him into a, a, a teenager anytime soon so my assumption is baby yoda is going to stay baby yoda for quite a while don't look forward to any any crazy time jumps here or anything like that yeah, there's just a lot, uh, a lot of great answers, a lot of more mysteries to unpack as well. What role will Clan Vizsla play going forward? Will they play a role? Now, it, it never came back up in this season, but apparently that one heavy, heavily armored Mandalorian was a member of Clan Vizsla, the one who got into the knife fight with our Mandalorian friend Din in Episode 3, in Chapter 3. I'm assuming the Vizsla would be very interested in knowing that Moff Gideon has the Darksaber with him. But again, we're speculating right now. Oh, man. This was an exciting episode. This was an exciting series. And I can't wait to talk more about it, to get into more of the mythology, as they seem to be doing a wonderful job of incorporating it. What we can do in the meantime, what I'll be doing in the meantime, as I get mentally prepared for more episodes of The Mandalorian, is I'm going to be revisiting the 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 episodes involving the Clone Wars. I'll be rewatching episodes of Rebels. Uh, I may just watch the entire series. It's probably just easier to watch them all because it's those are both great shows. And you know, thirty minutes a piece, you can fly right through them. So if you guys want to want to get more prepared for things that are coming up, you know, kind of get that deeper appreciation for for some of the cool things that are happening, watch those shows. I, I think all of it. You know, obviously we're all watching The Mandalorian, so we all have Disney Plus, which means we all have access to the Clone Wars. We all have access to Star Wars Rebels right now. So I say we take advantage of it. Let's revisit. Let's get nerdy. Let's uh let's up our Mandalorian heritage game. You know, we know all we know a lot, but we can know a lot more. And uh let's see what they have in store for us. I think there's gonna be more twists, more turns, more surprises. I think knowing that the Mandalorian has more of a uh, more of a, a <sighs> The Mandalorian has his mission. And I think it's a mission that will allow for more story-driven things to to happen and to occur. I I kind of think there is room. There's definitely room to improve on some of the storytelling aspects of the se of the season of the series. You know, there was a little, little there was a little fat in the middle. You know, four, five, and six, a little. Eh, eh, eh. 
overall, this has, this uh, this series has been a huge success, huge triumph. I'd love to see Favreau do more Star Wars stuff, but even if he doesn't want to, if he just wants to stay in The Mandalorian, I'm okay with that too. The series has been a real blast. It's been a lot of fun. They've been able to incorporate so much of the mythology that I appreciate and even, even give some nods to some of the older mythology, some of the older canon that we've talked about on the show previously. So I'm really excited. I hope you guys have enjoyed this as much as I have because this show has been a hoot, been a real treat, and I have loved talking about it with you guys. So... That's it. I mean, we we did two two series breakdowns this this fall. You know, we we broke down the Watchmen episodes. And now we've broken down every episode of The Mandalorian, and it's been a real blast. I've had a great time doing it. It's been a lot of a lot of fun. So uh, let me know what shows I should do these for next. I think the only one I'm I'm planning on doing is the Picard series, which launches uh, gosh less than a month now. Uh, that's uh, January twenty third on the on the CBS All Access app. So I'll be watching some Picard and breaking that all down. That one's going to be tricky because my Star Wars, uh, my, my Star Trek lore is a little rusty. So I'll have to get into that a little bit more. But uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks to my current Patreons. That is the Squidmaster General, Brian Broussard. The Batman of Apart, Jeff Nail. And the Aspen Hill Chody. Thank you guys for being Patreons. If you want to be Patreons, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopCast. And you can sign up. It's super easy. You can email the show at TomCastPopCast at gmail.com and follow along with us on social media at the TomCast underscore PopCast on Instagram at the TomCast underscore PopCast on Twitter. And that's it. I got it. This has been a long episode. <laughs> I think I'm talking too much. Maybe it'll be shorter when I edit it out a little bit. But thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we're still at the end of December here. It's December 27th as I record this. Uh, so, so New Year's is coming up. If you don't, if I don't, if it, if you don't see me, don't hear from me. Happy New Year to you guys! Thank you again. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, the plan is to be back. I teased it a little bit earlier. Roger and I, we're going to break down the rise of Skywalker. Uh, we are we are of two trains of thought on that movie. One good, one bad. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be lively. I can't wait to talk to talk about that movie. I got a lot to get off my chest. And Roger will be here to call me a naysayer and a mean, grumpy old fart. And it'll be excellent. So stick around for that. That'll be coming up. I hope we are going to be recording that next week uh, before New Year's. And I'll get it out to you guys hopefully right before, hopefully New Year's Eve. That's kind of my plan. We'll see if we'll see if we can make it work. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. This has been 3BZ Presents, the TomCast podcast, reviewing The Mandalorian. And I hope you had as much fun as I did with it, folks. I will talk to you all soon. Take care of each other. Bye. Ciao, babes. We're not going to be fucking sunk this year. We're the Stanley Cup champions.